This is Ariel Halevi with my podcast, The Greater Context. And in today's episode, I'll be hosting Batya Ivanizer, Israel Director, HR Director at Plarium. Batya and I will be discussing three key challenges 21st century organizations deal with. Number one, finding and recruiting top talent. Number two, employee retention. And number three, building the right leadership competencies. Hello again, my fellow cave people struggling in the midst of the digital revolution. It's time for another episode of The Greater Context with Ariel Halevi. Hello, my friends. Here we are ready for another podcast. This time I'm going to have another guest that I'm really thrilled to have here. But before I introduce my guest, my friend, I want to remind you, I, I, it's not even reminding you, I want to give thanks. I want to say thank you to Google for Startup Campus here in Tel Aviv. Um, I've mentioned this in, in some of the previous sessions. This campus offers startups the opportunity to gain access to Google products, uh, connections, uh, and best practices, as well as programming and events for startups. Uh, I am now speaking to you from, and my, my friend and guest here with me, we're both here in the Creator Studio here in Tel Aviv, where we are benefiting from state-of-the-art video and podcast rooms that are available for startups here in Tel Aviv for free. Um, and if you want more information on all things uh, campus, check out their website at www.campus.co forward slash Tel Aviv. So now that we've gotten this housekeeping uh, in order, I'm sitting here with a client who has become a friend, and I've had this happen multiple times in my career, and it's one of the greatest pleasures of what I do. Um, I'm here with Batya Ivanitzer, and if you can say that three times in a row without getting mixed up, already <laughs> you get some points. Um, so Batya is a senior HR professional, currently serving as the Israel HR director for a company called Plarium, which is a leading global company that develops games for mobile and web. And I was going to introduce them as a gaming company, but Batya, you kind of clarified for me that that automatically makes people think about gambling. Yes, and what we do is mostly multiple uh, genres of games. Uh, it could be RPG games, uh, casual games, uh, strategical games, which are the main core of our um, it's work. not like is it like uh, Clash Royale, Clash of Clans, which I know are not your games, but is that the kind of thing? Uh, some of them are uh, similar, but we are mostly focused on uh, more um, strategical genres. Uh, you can check out our newest, uh, very exciting game, which is called Raid. Uh, very, very fun, very uh, challenging. How, how many hours out of people's lives are they going to be losing to these games if they download well, this one? Well, uh, I don't think it's losing. I think it's uh, actually quite the opposite. And you know, we can we can talk about it further moving on. I don't want to become like a publisher for, for games, but uh, a lot of things that are related to games, there are actually a lot of researches uh, that's showing that if you uh, play games um, in the right amount, like everything, not being like uh, addicted, it, it, it actually helps you develop a lot of social skills and also a lot of uh, cognitive skills. So there are many good things if you don't use it, um, like excessively, if you, don't, if you don't abuse it, it's very, very positive. So. Yeah, well, I, I can definitely buy into that because I, I play a ton of games on my mobile throughout the day and it really helps me relax and it kind of lets me disconnect. Um, so that what I think that's a world that we can talk we can about, but it's really not what we want to talk about today. We can have a completely about the um, 
pros and cons of games. I, yes. I do want to. I do want to repeat something in full disclosure. Uh, you know, Plarium is a client of mine of, of Viremars, and um, but really, you're not sitting here as one of my clients. You're sitting as a friend and as a colleague uh, with whom I've spent God only knows how many hours uh, having really interesting conversations about work, about things out of work, which is why I thought it would be great for us to talk today. Um, since you and I first began working together, we've covered a lot of ground. Mm-hmm. And, um, that's because you, you like to talk. That's because I like to talk. I'm, I, I'm a good listener, <laughs> but the one who, who does all the talking is mostly you. I, lo- I, I admit that I love talking. <laughs> Maybe that's why I'm in the field that I'm in, right? I have the ego the size of, of yes. Everest. Um, but before we kind of dive into it, you, you did not start your career mm-hmm. as an HR professional, right? You yeah. started back in 2005. You were doing something a little bit different. Well, actually, it's kind of interesting. And I think uh, most careers, when you like uh, unravel them and try to understand the choices uh, people make, it's it's usually not a uh, one-way ra- uh, road. I think it's, me- it's very interesting because a lot of the times people get to do something, uh, they, it, it kind of happened, not necessarily that they had a dream. Like I never had a dream uh, to be an HR professional, even a long, a long time. Took, it took me a long time to really understand what it really means, um, HR. And I think also HR is very developed throughout the years, uh, changed a lot. But, I but started... looking back, can you connect? Sorry for cutting you off. But looking back, do you feel that the dots connect? Like there's the famous yes, inaug- you know, yes, speech yes. by Jobs about we can never connect the dots looking forward, but we always seem to connect them looking yes, backwards. Yes, of course. I can connect all the dots. I can connect them all the way through to, through to my high school, which I was a uh, uh, facilitator in a... In, in a a scout in the scouts, so it's relevant. Or I uh, did some uh, training in the army, and I used to stand. Um, I could stand in front of uh, my soldiers and teach. And I can connect. Looking back, all the dots. Everything is important, especially when you talk about fields that are connected to people. Everything we do today is connected to people. Right. So I basically started uh, with. Uh, um, I majored. Uh, I have a first degree in psychology, and my master's is in social psychology. And uh, initially, my career began with uh, working in back in the days. Uh, this this sentence made me sound very old, but uh, back in the days, <laughs> uh, I think a lot of the recruitment uh, procedures were held outside of the company. Today, the trend is inside the company, and so there were a lot of uh, uh, big companies that had uh, um, uh, that were mainly focused about interviewing people and doing uh, personality assessments. And I used to work in Pilat, and there were like Pilat, Adamilo, and Kenan Chefi were the three big major ones. Um, and then people would come to to be interviewed by, by, by me as a psychologist, and I would sit and talk to them for 45 minutes and uh, then like write an evaluation and later on also had become a professional in writing um a more holistic uh, um, opinion, which was based on uh, drawings and uh, questionnaires. And I would take all that and put it into uh, one or two page of uh, recommendation. This this person uh, is suited to be an engineer in uh, Raphael, or is this person is suited to be a uh, office manager or branch manager for uh, Bank Ben Lumi? Do you feel that, I mean... Has data been gathered over the years to kind of evaluate recommendations against actual results with these people as far as, you know, they did, the company was happy about hiring them in retrospect. They stayed with the company along, they got promoted. Like, 
you know, how much empirical data has mm-hmm. been gathered mm-hmm. to kind of, because I know that there are a ton of areas that are still prominent, mm-hmm. you know, like uh, writing analysis, mm-hmm. not not content analysis, but handwriting yeah. analysis, yeah. which really has never statistically been proven yeah. as viable. But companies seem to still be using it because they're grasp. They need to do something to make yeah. themselves feel that they've, you know, put the right effort forward picking the right candidate. Is there data to support? There is data. Uh, like we know, data is, is always... There's research about everything. You can put the same questions and one research will, will say this is very good, and the other would say this is nothing. But I think most of the data, first I want to say as a, as, a, as a statement that using an outsourcer to help you decide something which is internal is always like a second opinion, like another factor. If it's the only factor, then something is not right in the way that you uh, build a process. So just taking that into consideration, I think if it's a tool that is supporting your decision and the core is the uh, culture, the organization, the manager, the unit, then it's a whole different field. As of my opinion, I think a lot of the times uh, it would give you more background, it would give you like a help, but I think uh, research mainly indicate that um, Uh, if you look at the people that came and the evaluations, uh, a lot of the... Um, right, the predictive uh, uh, validity. Yes, the validity, exactly. That was the word I was looking. So the, the validation of this would be mainly uh, about the group simulations. They had a very big correlations because once in a group, It's very difficult to fake. Got it. Rather than when we talk, there are so many uh, biases, like the way I sound or I look, or if I'm uh, reminding you your best friend or the one that you couldn't hate, like you couldn't stand in high school. Well, this is a bias on your receiving end, but there's also an entire industry teaching people how to show up to exactly. an interview. Exactly. So this, this is what I'm saying. When it's two people, it's very, very elusive. But if it's a group, it's much more difficult. Much because more you telling. see, Yeah, because then it's, the, the validation is higher because then you see how the same person is reacted or uh, making others react. Okay, so t- it, it, looking back, it almost seems like it was a very, very smart choice to enter your career path uh, through that gateway because today, and we'll talk about that later, recruiting, mm-hmm. um, tapping into sourcing, acquiring, retaining talent is a huge, huge thing. I mean, books that I read, it's, it's always getting... A very, very big portion of the book is about talent management, and it starts with recruiting the right people. But um, you didn't stay there, right? You, you kind no. of pivoted into... No, I did that for like five years. And uh, throughout doing that, although it was... First, I want to say that uh, like every other field, you get very, very good in what you do, not only because you have the talent or the intuition or the skills, rather that you are experienced. So imagine doing the same thing, which is interviewing people from, from morning till eve, like about five or six people from different genres uh, day after day after day. for five years. Can you imagine how uh, professional you would be in selecting even things like body motions, because this is what you do in and out, day after day after day. So I think a lot of doing that for a very long da- time gave me a very, very good solid uh, ground, uh, almost empirical of, of what I'm doing, which is part of the time also interviewing. Um, and a lot of the times we say, you know, like we say in, a, in, in my business, sometimes you see someone and you can say, say things that are um, 
like uh, my intuition is or my uh, sure. my nose says that but basically it's not something so far-fetched basically it is based on uh, things that you saw before well Malcolm Gladwell talks about the 10,000 hour rule right yeah and, and then that later I read uh, I think I think it was in the book originals where they talked about the predictive capabilities at an intuitive base of people who've gathered a critical mass of expertise in yes. something yes even though that critical mass was not done formally through formal education mm-hmm. so comedians can predict very yes. well if a show will be funny yes but what was interesting in that book was that the predictive capabilities are limited to the field of intuitive uh, experience so uh, Comedians can't predict whether a drama show will be good, but they can almost definitely predict whether something where a comedic act will be successful. Because this is what That's they, where they accumulated their experience. Exactly, exactly. What makes you change path after five years? So I think during that time, I think it was very interesting. And um, the advantage was clearly the, the knowledge I carry with me until today. But the downsides, it made me very uh, judgmental because when you have, you know, like... Uh, with you? Batia, yeah. you, you were judgmental? Can you, can you imagine I, that? I cannot <laughs> fathom that possibility. <laughs> you know, with great power comes great uh, responsibility. So it, it made me, you know, even I think in, in, in the amount of like the, the n- neurons connecting in my brain, like all the judgments were being done very, very fast. And I didn't like that feature in me. That was the first thing. Like I would notice I'm in a social interaction and I'm like, boom, this, that. And I wanted to be more open-minded. And this job made me very, very narrow, very, very fast, uh, very judgmental. And I think these are all already qualities I had acquired. So this was my first concern. The second was there was nothing in uh, that kind of job for me, which was a process, meaning I would meet you for 45 minutes. I would assume I understand who you are or what your ambitions are, and I would never see you again, literally. And uh, there's no connection. There's no process. I wouldn't know, did you get the job? Did you not get the job? Did really? you succeed in the wow. job? And I was always curious. You know, I could meet people like two, three years. For people who came to that um, uh, psychology institute, it was very interesting and it was very dramatic. So I noticed people could remember me. I was much more sure. um, uh, meaningful. And two, three years later, I could meet someone in the street uh, I used to live in Haifa then. It's much uh, smaller. And then it could be like a joy of happiness and, oh, thank you, because of you I got the job. Not because of them. Yeah, clearly because because of me. Or the opposite, like a very sour face. And because of you and your institute, I didn't get this position and so on. And, and it, not that I was worried about that. Rather, I really wanted to connect with people. And throughout uh, my master's, I did some freelance as a group facilitator and also as an organizational consultant. And there I did um, have a connection throughout uh, time, which I love. Uh, so I decided I wanted to try and do something else. And actually, you know, like life, I got into the business of HR uh, really, re- it was really random. I was looking for a job and someone offered me to replace uh, someone who went on uh, maternity, le- maternity leave. And uh, then I went uh, to an interview, really basically did not even know what so it now means. you're on the other side of that process. Yes, and it was, ve- and then she wanted to send me to my own institute. <laughs> it was, it was almost tragic. And then, uh, and, and then this whole uh, world opened up to me and I remember she was interviewing me uh, and uh, I think one of the most significant leaders I ever had the, the opportunity to work with, while she was interviewing me, she said, uh, really by the end of the interview, she, she said, you know what, I have a gut feeling, it's 
a good match, you and the organization, and I think you should come and, and be, uh, first role was the uh, uh, HRBP, which is the Human Resources uh, Business Partner. And I looked at her, I just came back from uh, three months in India. I was backpacking, um, just finished my thesis, and went finally uh, to the trip that we do Israelis after the army, like eight years delay, but mm-hmm. 28, I finally got to, to India. So I was sitting there, I just, you know, got back from India, and she's saying to me, you know what, you should come work for us, like during the interview. And I couldn't resist saying it out loud, and I said to her, Are you crazy? You're giving me this responsibility being an HR business? I've never done HR. It's really, it sounds like not very responsible. Well, I, I want to interject here just um, to clarify. So we'll talk about that again. We'll talk about that later. HR is like this huge ocean of so many different areas. It's almost crazy dif- to think that it all... And different approaches. Also different, and, yeah. And, and has changed dramatically throughout the years. Dramatically. So, absolutely. And I, we'll cover this. But I kind of want to double-click on this idea of HRBP, right? Mm-hmm. So, being an HR business partner mm-hmm. in the landscape of different domains or subdomains within HR is a pretty senior thing to jump into, right? Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. That's where you do strategic uh, advising mm-hmm. to the executives that you're partnered up to. Um, it's a much it's a much more uh, in-depth process that requires thinking on your feet, understanding trends, which which now that I now that I hear myself saying that, I'm sure some of this also applies to other areas in HR, but usually you advance to become. Yes. HRBP. It, it's, it's usually not a first, an initial position to start in, H, in HR. That is true. But you took the role. She insisted, so. <laughs> <laughs> What could I say? I woke no, up one morning with a let, dead horse in my let's bed. Give, let's give it a minute of serious, let's, let's take it serious because I think um, this story tells something about the way we should look at people, okay? Some of the mistakes that we as managers do is that we look at, At someone's CV and we do not look right. at their potential or at their uh, cap- uh, um, capabilities separated okay so if I'm looking at that interview and it was a lesson learned for life yes I took this with me and um, used it moving on because I told her let's go get back uh, to, to that scenario that she's telling me I want you to come work for us and I'm looking at her seriously thinking she's crazy and, and telling her Uh, she's a little bit crazy. I, I, I want to believe that I was more polite. I, I didn't call her crazy. I want to believe, but this is me, so we, <laughs> we can't vouch for that. And she said, you know what? If I'm looking at your CV, that's true. You've never done a role of HRBP. That's true. But if I take every single line that you did in your CV, okay, and look at the job description of the person that I'm looking at, Training, you, you were uh, doing training throughout your uh, military service. I was also, uh, um, I, I used to do a lot of training um, in the Army. So you did training. So we're covered. Uh, recruitment, basically five years. You were interviewing people, writing assessments. Probably right now, you're one, one of the best recruiter, recruiters that I've ever known. Only because of the experience like we've mentioned before. Uh, um, escorting or advising managers. You did some uh, group facilitating and so on and so on. So she basically went with uh, the resume. She, and she, she took saw them, you more than you saw yourself. Exactly, which was amazing. And, 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 and the evidence was uh, 
two months or one month after I started working, I already could, she could already say she has the, uh, like a good ROI for me because the, the potential, it was not just the potential, it was already the chunks of the position that uh, she could work with. So taking that moving forward, if we're, we want to give something uh, to whoever is listening to us, uh, it's also important to see not just the lines, rather the story. And if you do that, you may, t- you may, t- you may find behind the page, the CV paper, a story. And that story is interesting. And there, if you are bold enough to take the chance, you might find someone uh, and even sometimes help someone to find himself. So I think that is something that we don't do enough. We don't challenge the paper. You're reminding me, um, not long ago, I, I finished reading the book, The Hard, Things, the Hard Thing About Hard Things mm-hmm. by Ben Horowitz. Mm-hmm. Um, and he talks about the common mistakes investment funds make. Which is? To look at the founder and say, this person is not ready or is not CEO material. And he says, there's no way that you're born a CEO. Mm-hmm. There's no way that you know if somebody can be a good CEO until you let them be a CEO and you have to be ready to have them fail. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think she was looking at you and she was seeing where you could go. Mm-hmm. She was presuming the exact opposite. She was presuming you could go there, but I guess she also must have had a good intuitive sense throughout her experience to mm-hmm. look at you and see, you know, some people you can just see that they have it. I think she was more than just being uh, intuitive because when she took it to parts, she convinced me I'm up for the job. Right. She connected the dots yes. well. Yes, yes. So, you know what, that's, you and I, we were talking about, I'm going to fast forward a little. Mm -hmm. You and I, in our conversations leading up to this podcast, we kind of got lost in the forest. We had a few conversations and we ended every one of them saying, okay, so wait, what are we going to talk about, right? I mean, (laughs) what are we going to do? Because, and I mentioned this before, HR is this massive ocean. Yes. And it's got tons of different domains of expertise. It seems almost impossible that they should all fall under the same category. But we, we did kind of decide that we're going to try to cover a few topics, right? Mm-hmm, One mm-hmm. We, we touched upon now and we'll dive into is the whole talent, you know, challenge of talent acquisition mm-hmm. in today's world. Yes. Um, employee retention, which, by the way, I was going to write it as talent retention. And you corrected me and said, no, 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 no. There's talent acquisition and there's employee retention. And it's not the same thing. So maybe we can talk about that. Mm-hmm. And then if we have some time, we can talk about 2020 leadership, mm-hmm. right? Leadership in, in, in the year 2020. Yes. Um, what do you want to start with? Should we continue with the talent acquisition? I think let's start with uh, talking about the talent acquisition. And I think if I want to put it uh, in some kind of uh, metrics, let's say I think one of the most challenging things we do um, in HR or in managerial worlds, we're very, very occupied about who do we uh, take into our house, yeah? How do we find this talent? Uh, how do we... Uh, uh, pursue and bring the best people. And we're very, very, very much uh, occupied in that, in time and money. So this is one part. And then we're also very, very busy in maintaining those talents within or maintaining our key employees within. Sometimes we even call it preservation of employees. And that sometimes might be a little bit too late. And we're not occupied in the a field in between, which is basically here and now. If I just want to give like uh, this example throughout a relationship, okay? Mm-hmm. We're very, very occupied about who do we fall in love with? Who do we marry? How do we choose the right one? If there is ever such a thing as right one. Okay. And then moving forward like 5, 10, 20 years later, when we're sitting on a couch and doing the, the couple's therapy, blaming <laughs> each other, yeah? It's probably too late. 
where we should have put all the efforts in here and now. How do we maintain this partnership, which is a partnership between employee organizations and managers, and keeping everyone satisfied not only because we have great cappuccino in the kitchen, rather empowered, interested, growing. And I think this part is something that we're not focused enough. We're very, very, very... I want to make sure that I'm getting what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Um, so, part one, source, mm-hmm. attract, hire. Yes. The best people out there. Yes, which is a big challenge. We'll have a few words about that right. also. And then companies kind of jump forward. Okay, we got, you signed the contract. He's in. We'll see you again in a year in the evaluations. Mm-hmm. Or we'll see you again in the annual company event where we'll party and acknowledge. And then there's like a gap in the middle. Mm-hmm. And if that gap is not mitigated properly, when we suddenly have to deal with retention issues, it's not maybe too late, but it's definitely late. Yes. Okay. Yes. So that's, I think that's really interesting because there's this, I'm going to draw a parallel here mm-hmm. to the world of agile development, mm-hmm. right? We used to do, let's do a scoping and design for a product. Then we'll develop it for two years and we'll release it. Mm-hmm. Where now the world says, no, we don't have the luxury of waiting two years after a release. We have to do continuous development, continuous learning validation cycles of build, test, learn, launch and iterate. In a way, it's the same thing with employees. Once we get them in, we have to iterate with them almost on a daily, weekly basis to keep, to make sure that they're happy and to make sure that we're happy with them. Yes. So what's so hard about that? Why aren't companies doing more of that? Or what, what do companies have to overcome in order to adopt this approach? I think, first of all, I want to expand the narrative. It's not only the companies or the managers. It's also the employees because you need to be very brave to come to your manager after six, seven months and say, listen, you know what? Actually, I'm bored. Most people are not going to do that because they're afraid that someone is going to think six months and you're bored already. Uh, maybe you shouldn't be here. Maybe uh, you would even get scolded. It's not only the bold one would come after six, seven months and say, and, and I think we should keep checking all the time that people are happy, that people are satisfied, and that people find their work interesting and that they're growing. And the responsibility to do that is both on the employee and both on the organization. But isn't it, that's a bit in conflict with a lot of the feedback that I hear from organizations about Such dealing as? with the millennials who mm-hmm. have no problem saying, hey, I'm bored. Hey, I want a promotion. Hey, I want another project. I want to work from home. Like, isn't there a contradiction here with the culture of the millennials who actually have no problem speaking up? I'm not sure. I think this is a lot of, uh, at least from my experience. First, I want to say that mil- millennials is, is very... Um, contagious because uh, when, when you put uh, different kind of people in the same room they uh, take qualities or traits or behaviors from one another so Millennials is much more than a generation now even people in their 30s 40s are bored much more faster and everyone are looking uh, in the same time and uh, on Facebook Instagram uh, Twitter WhatsApp and bored it's it's wider than a generation it's a theme and they don't speak up they don't come after six months and say hey I want some do else? I think some do but some are either shy or uh, in their comfort zone or just bought a house and have a mortgage and don't want to take the further step. I don't think it's uh, right to, to say that everyone speak their minds. No, I, from my experience, some do, some don't, and I don't want to be proactive only when someone comes to me. So I'm, I'm suggesting that the responsibility on that should be both sides. And I, I, my belief is that um, it's a relationship and so it needs to be mutual, meaning I'm asking you what's up, but you're also coming to me and asking me what's up. So right. I think this is something as a culture we need to encourage. And it's not 
necessarily <gasps> something that uh, that happens. And maybe that can actually be part of the recruiting process. So Meaning? now I'm looking at the recruiting process not only as how do I get the right talent in, I'm actually presuming that I will get, ultimately I'm going to hire somebody. Mm -hmm. So why shouldn't I look at the recruitment process as the beginning of the infusion of the culture I expect from that individual, even not knowing if I end up hiring I them? I think that's a good idea, but I think we as recruiters and also we as managers uh, still have a lot of narratives within ourselves to change. Okay, let's say I'm interviewing someone, doesn't really matter what's his age, random Joe, and he seems to me like he's brilliant and I really think he's a good match for the team. But then he would say uh, at the second or at the third interview while being asked, what are your inspiration? He would say to me, well, I really want to manage. And uh, in my bucket list, I have that until the age of 30, I want to be a director. And he's 29. So this is like a year from today, this guy wants to be a director. So do we take him? Do we not? Do we say, this is someone who's very ambitious, has the potential, has the power, Let's bring him in and see what happens. Or do we say, it's going to take me just a year to train him. And after a year, he's not going to be happy. I should look for someone who's uh, ambitious or more mild. Or maybe he wants to be not a director, just a team lead. And maybe not in a year, just in five years. So this is a genuine question that, that, that a manager needs to ask himself. And sometimes it could really work. And sometimes it could, it could backfire. Because if you're recruiting something for a very... Uh, um, let's say, uh, a, a very solid position and there is no uh, promotion ahead and this person is very interested in being promoted, so maybe it's not a good match. So I think it's very tricky. What do we do? How think- do you deal with that? Let's say that per- Joe's sitting in front of you. You're looking at Joe's CV. The mm-hmm. dots seem to be connecting. Mm-hmm. Um, he's sitting in front of you. There seems to be chemistry. Mm-hmm. This person seems to have a good balance of confidence, but also modesty, uh, seems to have the right balance of potential and track record, is 29, wants to be a director at 30. Um, you you know almost for sure mm-hmm. that he's not going to be given an offer of director in the next two years, let alone one year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Your, your professional managers in the company are on you for the last three weeks. Come on, we got to fill this position. What do you do? First, there's no easy solution, okay? Second, I think every case is very, very uh, individual. Why? Because I need to understand who's the person sitting across from me. Does he really want to be a director or he just thinks that growing is necessarily being a manager? Does he really mm. understand the, 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 the complexity of being a director today? Does he understand the complexity? Does he have the maturity? Does he have the capacity? I believe that everything should resolve in an open dialogue. So I would talk to this person, okay, this random Joe, not a mm-hmm. true story at all, never happened. Never. Never. Uh, and I would ask him, how patient is he? What does he imagine? Sometimes I think this is a very interesting question. When someone tells you he wants X and you tell him, okay, so a year has passed and now you're X, how's, how, how does your day look like? And through that answer, you can reveal very interesting things, okay? Is it just the status, the, the, the money, the fame, the glory? Or is he going to say, I want to be a director because I understand that the intersection of, of all decisions being made are 
really at that point and I'll have power to write the best code and bring the best people and invent new things and I want to be an, an influencer. So these are two very, very different answers. Because he can answers. maybe do that in a year without being a director. Exactly. So this is why I'm saying it's very, very uh, individual. And so you need to uh, investigate and understand. And many of the times people, uh, especially managers who uh, interview massive people and they hear this one is really uh, interested in promotion and uh, maybe he's... Uh, spinning things up and maybe this uh, is someone that will leave us in a year and so why invest in this kind of person so I think we should be aware of making decisions like that I really really like what you're suggesting here in that a common common confusion that we find in other areas by the way right when I advise um, leadership teams on strategy it's inevitable that the following question will come up what do you want what Blah, exactly. blah, 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 blah. Exactly. They answer, right? And then I say, okay, is that the what or is that the how? Exactly. If it's the what, there could be many hows to get there. Um, no, I'm sorry. I'm going to correct that. If it's the what, I want to be a director and I know they can't be, well, I may have to surface that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But if it's a how, there may be other hows to achieve the same essence that they're looking for. Exactly. And sometimes they're not aware of it. That's very good. I like that. Um, exactly. Something else I think that is interesting is... I think many times that we are um, looking for the right people, and I'm not necessarily talking about uh, professional skills, knowledge, expertise. I'm just taking a minute to, to, to think about uh, per- personal traits. Um, sometimes we're blinded by people that are very much like us. And I think that is something, w- when I talk to managers who recruit, I think we have now studies that show that the that diversity really brings a good perspective value to the business and mm-hmm. I think uh, uh, you know last year I attended the uh, GDC GDC is the uh, one of the biggest uh, gaming uh, uh, industry conferences uh, held in San Francisco every year and I went there was very very interesting and uh, I took some of the lectures and in uh, open panels that are more related to management and HR issues and one of the one of the panels I took was the uh, Uh, panel for recruiting and it was called how to how to not recruit a mini me <laughs> and I think that was very brilliant because a lot of the times we're even in a subconscious way looking for people that are like us or people that are very much like the team we have rather than looking the exact opposite and sometimes we're even a bit scared of the exact opposite and I think this is like the secret ingredient or the secret spice that if you put inside the soup suddenly it's just not the A regular <laughs> soup but you know soup that's interesting Th- this connects very very strongly to a constant theme in 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 our work which is the idea of reassessing the benefit of our natural operating system right I talk about the fact that the you human need to op- explain that so the human operating system uh, has been developing at least for the homo sapiens sapiens for about the I don't know, three, four, five hundred thousand years. How long have you been waiting to say homo sapiens in this uh, I podcast? I have to say it at least once every episode. <laughs> And you know at least once in every conversation we have, you right? You mean once every hour. Once every mean. hour. Okay. Thank God this, this episode is going to be only an hour, so I probably get it more than once. Thank God. But yeah. we have an operating system that's been evolving since the dawn of our existence as a species. And it's been evolving to help us survive in very specific exactly. circumstances that are simply fight, no longer relevant. Fight or flight, yeah. So... We seek those who are like us because those who are not like us are a potential threat, whereas in the modern world, being surrounded by people who are not like us is critically important for success. Exactly. Um, okay, 
So we're talking about the recruitment process. Mm -hmm. We're talking about, you've, I'm going to kind of try to capture the, the essence of what you said. One, setting expectations is very important. Mm -hmm. Two, getting outside help can be very valuable but cannot be the cornerstone of our decision. Three, um, separating what people want in the process of setting expectations, not confusing the what from the how. Transparency, having an open dialogue with them. Also being careful of just hearing the buzzwords and deciding. Again, both, both ways. Right. Rather exploring, asking the why. Okay? Right. Seeing beyond the, the, the page, the buzzword, I want to be promoted, I want to sure. be a big leader. Why? Why do you want all those? And then have an interesting conversation about the why. Right. And finally, try to have a counter bias of actually preferring those. If, if you find somebody that resonates with you because they're very much like you, maybe go through an additional process of exploring, is this really the reason why I'm hiring these people yes. and open myself up yes. to others? So... That's great, and I think that there is a ton of work out there mm -hmm. that supports the whole issue of best practices in recruiting. I'll just recommend a few books. There is Work Rules um, by Laszlo Buck, head mm -hmm. of, former head of people for, for Google, who've really mastered, in a way, the process of hiring. You have the book Powerful by Patty McCord, who talks a lot about the um, candidate experience throughout the hiring process. I think that was I think it was in that book that she she spoke about the fact that in Netflix you were allowed to be late for any meeting for only one reason and that is if you stopped to have a conversation with a candidate that was waiting for an interview or walking the halls mm -hmm. um, that's one, an interesting culture right it, it, let, let be the, the experience the candidate has will have a material impact yes. on their desire to work mm -hmm. for the company and mm -hmm. it will also have an impact on their onboarding and And retention later more than that it would have a major effect about future candidates because candidates they talk to they, each they other. talk to each other yes uh, and I know that in in Google they made a point of having apparently irrelevant people in the company weigh in on a candidate by incorporating them into the recruitment process mm -hmm, mm -hmm. also because of the bias because mm -hmm. of the tendency to hire somebody I know who's like me so really there's a world uh, out there of exploration just about the The recruiting process I, I want to skip ahead let's assume we've recruited somebody we mm -hmm. started talking about that before mm -hmm. I want to double click on that we've hired the person mm -hmm. okay so so you know Mandy's now part of the team mm -hmm. she's been with us for a few weeks or a few months does it have to be Mandy it doesn't have to be Mandy okay. it just in one of the episodes I said Jennifer I want to and that's always my go can we name. choose can we choose a, a, a local name um Yardena Okay, I would go with that. I'm connecting back to us being 80, apropos of the song we danced to before the episode. And I'm not going to reveal the song you wanted <laughs> us to dance to, to, to um, just in, in, in lieu of your privacy. <laughs> I'm so tempted to say the name of the song. Okay, maybe I'll post it Yaldena, later on the blog. Yaldena, Yaldena. Yaldena. Let's keep the bright to, to, to Yaldena. Okay. We've hired her. Yes. How do we keep her happy? And how do we keep her productive? Mm-hmm. Good questions. Again, that, that's what I'm here for. I'm here for the questions. Again, no simple answers. First, because every person we're dealing with individuals, okay? Some people like to be asked how you're feeling every 10 minutes, and some they want to throw up if you ask them too many questions. So it has to be, again, very, very suited to the person in front of you. And I think this is the key component for everything, the dialogue. So first, I think it's um, really <sighs> important to have a very good onboarding. program which is uh, suited to the department and the employees needs and I really suggest instead of just being very generic also asking uh, questions such as 
some do, some of those questions I also uh, might ask during an interview. But sometimes I would ask, how do you define yourself as a scholar? Because some people need someone to explain something to them. Rather, other people are autodidacts and they want to sit with, with the headphones in front of a screen and just learn something. And only then, if they have que- questions, they will come. So, of course, I can't do everything accordingly to exactly your suited needs. But I can be very... Um, Um, like I can listen to what you need and try to make the adaptations, okay? So first thing is, I think, doing a very strong um, on, onboarding process, which helps you first feel very much at home, meaning uh, not the cliche that the organization is your family and home and blah, blah, blah. And, and here's a box of chocolates on your desk on yeah, your first day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tr- we try to make it more healthy in Plarium, I have to say, but not just the, the touchy and emotional experience, which, which I'm not being cynical. I'm just... merely suggesting it's not enough okay it's very important to feel good to feel welcomed but first it's not enough and I think you do not do it with a box of chocolate rather with a genuine care about someone's progress give me a few examples of, of, of some of the best practices in your company okay first we have uh, a buddy for each uh, individual someone who is with him for the first month if he needs something to Just to make sure he doesn't have lunch on his own like who, he, who would this buddy be this buddy would be uh, someone in the team uh, let's say that we are um, taking you on board uh, one of our uh, uh, marketing teams then uh, you uh, will be um, Um, associated with uh, this person he will uh, help you with the intro he will show you around he will help you he will be your buddy D- does that buddy get appointed and notified or do you ask for volunteers? We, we do ask for volunteers that needs to be someone in, who has a certain uh, criteria rather uh, uh, some time in the company the professional skill the abel- uh, uh, ability to be a trainer some people are very very smart but they're not they don't not have natural a, mentors they don't have patience so the, that kind of person can be a buddy because this process needs you to be more patient and more enduring so this is something that we do we have uh, orientation talks you would meet the HR on your first day she would welcome you she would explain uh, how's the company and the procedures and the org chart very very high level then she would meet you again after a month after three months just just to check up you would have meetings with your uh, Um, uh, sup- with your manager uh, we try the first week to have and th- this I think gives a very very good welcoming to an employee uh, we would have like end of day talk every day your first employee it's your first week every day at the end of the day we would have a short meeting of up to 20-30 minutes tops and I would ask you Ariel how was your day is it wait wait just the first week it almost sounds to me like this should be week two and three the first week people are like shell-shocked Well, we do recommend it to be from a week to 10 days, but it's very, very, again, uh, sometimes it could be overwhelming and I do want the managers to feel who's the person in front of them. It doesn't suit everyone, but uh, the, the, don't take the, the amount, two days, five days, rather the feeling, the trend, the, the um, value behind this matrix, which is at the beginning to be more attentive to the employee, ask how he's doing. And then you earn two things. One, once is building a connection, you have a new employee. In, the, in, in your department. So you're building a connection with him. You see uh, how's he doing, how is he feeling. So this is a first element, which is very important. And the second, you get a reality check of what was done from uh, a professional business point of view and what did he observe and what did he pay attention to and what are the things that he uh, got, okay? I also like to do with new employees and I think it's very um, 
empowering. Uh, I recently, uh, we recently uh, recruited a new HR to our team. And we're very, we're very happy. We're very selective which, uh, with each uh, employee that we put inside the, the HR team and, and Plarium in general. We joke it's more easy to, to be uh, a pilot in Israel, the stages that we go with the candidates. And of course, if anyone is listening right now and really wants to be a pilot in the games industry, they could check out our website at Plarium.com. <laughs> okay, fine. And uh, a, a true, you see, th- th- this is the true recruiter in you, right? I mean, th- but this is great because this is exactly how comprehensive and consistent the effort needs to be to find every opportunity to tell the world that your company exists so that you can hire the best talent. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so, so finger what on I the did, pulse. What I did is, uh, for example, uh, I gave him, um, we had a session about working plans, and I um, presented him the HR working plans for 2020, which we have written in July, okay? Mm-hmm. So instead of just leaving that at that, I asked him for our next meeting to give me observations about the working plan because I assume he has um, his knowledge, expertise from the world, from other companies. So I wanted him to be like an internal audit, external audit, and give me input. So this is immediately something that gives him interest, meaning. Can be very intimidating. If I'm new on a new job and you're asking me, I have to walk a very delicate, I don't know yet fully about you and the team and are they going to respond First of all, it was well, a, a request uh, um, to present to me, not to the whole team. Second, I think, again, it's a matter of dialogue, and I don't think that uh, um, you can make an abuse with anything. So everything I can uh, ask you can be very uh, stressful. It, it depends not of what I'm asking, rather how I'm asking. I don't think I asked it to be like a test, rather really a genuine open, open talk, which I'm saying we wrote this piece of paper. It might be good. It might be not so good, which is a lie, because, of course, we make the best uh, working plans ever. Of course. Of course. Obviously, we're so good. But uh, I think it was a, really an invitation to an open dialogue. And I think if you're sincere, then this goes through. If you're sincere and you're really looking for not something judgmental, rather partnership, if you're sincere, I think this, this works. What about... I'm just going in the chronological order, right? It's now 10 days in, five days in, 20 days in, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not sticking to the specific mm-hmm. metric you gave. Mm-hmm. We've checked in with them every day. Um, by the way, not just the HR, I'm guessing, but their direct mm-hmm. managers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're now into day 30, day 40, day 50. Mm-hmm. We're not going to do these checkups every day, right? Mm-hmm. So what else do we do that's reasonable, right? Because some of our listeners may be executives or directors in companies that have five, six, 7,000 people or more. Mm-hmm. Big teams, mm-hmm. incredible deadlines that you have mm-hmm. to meet. People mm-hmm. go home at 10 p.m. sometimes. Mm-hmm. How do I keep my finger on the pulse here? What's the frequency that I should be checking in with people? How do I create a situation where maybe I'm no longer checking in with them because I'm, I'm trusting that they will check in with me when they want? How do I do that? Well, again, no, no. No, I know, no magic bullet, but. No magic bullet, no magic answer, no simple answer. I think some ground rules. We recommend every um, manager has a weekly with his employees, one-on-one, which they go through their assignment, their goals, whatever, and also go through how they're feeling, how they're adjusting, not just uh, on the business side. Also, I I, I think if if a team is working well together, it's not reasonable that you talk to your manager once a week, rather on a daily basis. 
okay? Mm-hmm. And I think another thing which we try to do, and I think successfully, is not just giving uh, a new employee ra- uh, responsibilities or things to learn, rather, rather also giving him a project, something he owns start to mm. end according to his capabilities, a budget, a promotion, uh, giving him a, a, a game or a, a Depends, again, on his genre. Yeah? If it's a, a PPC account manager, it's something else. If it's an HRBC... PPC it's standing a... for pay-per-click yes. account manager, yes, in, yes. specifically for the gaming. Yeah, okay. for the marketing online. Right. So give them something that they can be responsible for. I like that because it basically says, you know, um, I, I recently read, and I've come across this several times, which is um, you usually get from people what you walk in expecting of them. Exactly. So if you raise the bar and you expect more of them, a lot of times people will rise to it. And if they don't, you have a it's good a early philosophy. indicator. You know, a lot of organizations, they uh, do there is something in my field that's called leveling. And then there is like we take, uh, let's say we started talking about the PPC account manager. And mm-hmm. they say there is a junior PPC account manager. There is an experience once and there is a senior once. And we expect different things. And there is like uh, roles and responsibilities. Mm-hmm. And we say... We expect everyone to be top of the notch profession professional PPC account manager. And that the state of mind once looking at that, even if you're a beginner, will help you fill in the gaps very fast. But we expect from everyone to be top of the notch. And then the, it's not just a philosophy, it creates a culture. Well, before we bring this specific uh, part of the conversation to a close, I will recommend um, a book by Kim Scott called Radical Candor. And the reason you made me think of that book is because she talks a lot about this idea of continuous dialogue. And she talks about the weeklies. And one of the tips that I remember her giving mm-hmm. is invite people to a weekly and say nothing. Let them speak. Amazing. I love it. Just sit there. And, Th- this and is very e- difficult because managers, they like, of course, they we, like to talk. We, and also, uh, silences can be uncomfortable. She says, yeah. no. If you're talking more than 10% of the meeting, mm-hmm. you're doing something wrong. Yeah, and we if say those, that about evaluations. Yeah, right? But, but except she's talking about continuous dialogue, whereas evaluations happen on a periodical basis. And she I basically think being, even, being e- completely quiet might be stressful. So do, I would recommend just asking two or three questions, which would be something oh, like... Oh, for sure. No, I'm not saying... I don't think she said walk... I don't remember her saying walk in and say hi and then shut up. But the 10% that you're speaking could should be mainly be open to the question. It could be interesting, this it could experiment. Be. Yeah. And even if people are quiet initially, don't be like, oh, okay, good. So there's nothing by. Sit there with it. Um, and it, it doesn't just create space for people to bring topics. It almost sets a very, very um, determined expectation of people to bring things and they will fill in the, the silence. So I think that's a really good tip out of many, many, by the way, uh, if you can get through the first two chapters, which I found unbearable in the book, <laughs> um, the remainder of the book is just invaluable. So start with chapter three. No, no, no <laughs> let, 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 give Kim the, you know, she, it's a book where she really, really, really pushes the method of radical candor. It's a very, very strong marketing book for her own method, but it's worth it. It's a very, very good just book. Just another practical thing about that. I think, again, the, the, the key for everything is an open dialogue. And if I talk to an employee after three, four months, and I'm asking, what are the things in the last few months that make you feel that you have passion for the job? Rather, what are the things that you really don't have patience to do inside the job? Or even, I know you just started and you're still learning, but moving forward a year from today, what are your inspirations? Where do you want to be? How do we help you get there? This opens a completely different dialogue. It's basically an ongoing job interview. Yes. Wonderful. So in, in, in the little time that we have, there's a third topic that we've been very ambitious to try to cover today. Mm-hmm. We called it, you and I, 
manager 2020 or 2020 leadership. This is about the role of leadership in companies in the 21st century mm-hmm. walking into the year 2020. What are your thoughts here? I mean, again, huge, huge, huge topic. topic yes. when, when you think about leadership 2020, what comes to your mind? I want to connect with, uh, like, to take a, a little piece of uh, connecting the dots between the last topic we just discussed mm-hmm. about. And this is about asking the right questions or being in an open dialogue. And I would add to that and connect to leadership. And I would say that I think the perspective should be that we are thankful for each employee for choosing to work with us every day. <coughs> so then everything is not taken for granted, okay? So every day, literally, every day, I'm thankful for my team for choosing Plarium. This is mutual. I choose them every day, but we're choosing. The opportunities are endless, and I think this connects to leadership because leadership is not taken for granted that your employee is here to stay. So this is a mindset. You're smiling because... I'm smiling because you made me think of... Uh, I, I, I'm going to name a company here where I think this came from, but I'm not sure. I could be wrong. But um, there's a company called Guesty. And one of the people I had the pleasure of meeting in his previous role before he worked at Guesty, I saw a picture on Facebook of him in a proposed... Like he was on his knee mm-hmm. in, in a, like as if proposing Very to an cute. employee. Very cute. And I, I love And the it. post said... Uh, she just completed her first year yeah, with will the you, company. Will you, will, you stay, will you stay with us another, another year? year? Amazing. And I thought that was really, exactly. really nice. Exactly. But you know what? And, and it's part of a bigger trend, right? Where the dynamic of the workplace and candidates used to be under the caption called employee of choice, mm-hmm. which was a dynamic where employees would have to show up to a job interview and convince the employer to hire them because getting a job meant surviving. Yes. And now we exist in a world where it's more employer of choice, yes. where we meet with the candidate and we, the good ones at least, we have to convince them to work for us and we have to continue convincing them. If we're them. connecting the dots again to the beginning of the talk, when sure. we talked about talents, many interviews are held that way. The conversation is mutual. I get asked on a job interview questions I would never been asked 15 years ago. What are your values? How do you contribute to uh, community? Are you green? Literally, people want to come. How work. will you invest in my development? Yes. How many hours? Last question someone asked me while giving a contract, which I was mind-blowing by, by, by how it tells this story. She said, if I come work with you, what is the, bu- the yearly budget I would receive for employee uh, development? development? I need to know how much do you, you as a company invest in me. So a year ago, I want to say a little more than a year ago, I gave a talk here in Israel titled From Burning Man to Corporate Values. I went to that lecture. Right, you were there. Yeah. And one of the questions I asked the panelist, this was the former CEO of the Burning Man uh, segment in Israel, Midburn. Mm-hmm. I said, one of the things we took away from that conversation was he said, how would you treat your employees differently if they were all volunteers? Because mm-hmm. the Burning Man movement is predominantly yes. based on volunteers. Good question. Which I thought was an amazing question, right? How would, and the second question we walked away from that panel was, um, what would your employees pay you to be allowed to do? Right, because we were talking about the fact that some of these volunteers in Midburn and Burning Man bought a full price ticket mm-hmm. and then volunteered for shifts in the safe zone, yeah. twelve hour shifts. Overnight. Amazing organization, by the Amazing way. Amazing organization, yeah. right? So, a, how would you treat your employees from a leadership perspective? Mm-hmm. How would you treat employees differently if they were volunteers? B, what would you if if they were volunteers? What would they pay you to be allowed to do? Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Amazing. 
Tell me more. What else comes to your mind when you think about Leadership 2020? Well, I think, first of all, the word partnership, because I think it's, uh, it's a partnership. And I can find myself uh, expecting and even um, taking conversations with my employees about also my needs. I don't think the, the old school where the manager is the smartest person in the room, knows it all, uh, brings the trends, makes all the decision. I don't think this is valid anymore. I think it's much more interesting when we have an open dialogue. Doesn't mean that my roles and responsibilities are not overlapping yours. And sometimes I can say, listen, this is a good advice, but my decision is different. It doesn't mean we can't openly talk and have an open dialogue. And I think partnership is... Um, is much more challenging than me uh, um, being uh, uh, with ranks and telling you, Ariel, this is what you need to do, and that's it. Be- because I told you so. Yeah, I think that's not interesting. Well, it's, 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 I heard a talk, uh, so horrible that I can't remember her name. Uh, if I find it, I'll put it on on the post the age, with this podcast. Exactly. Um, she basically explained how the baby boomers are the generation that got screwed the most mm-hmm. because they were hired by a generation where the culture was wait for 10 years before you have the seniority to be promoted and make decisions. And by the time they got there, it was the age of the millennials and the Y generation who were like, I don't respect authority. So they, they really got screwed. Mm-hmm. You're, what you're suggesting is extremely difficult, I think, from an emotional intelligence perspective. Why? Because, look, A, I carry the burden of responsibility for being the senior decision maker. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm the one who ultimately has to decide where the budget goes. I'm the one who ultimately has you're to determine. You're the owner, you're accountable, I own it, you're I'm responsible. accountable in a state of uncertainty. And on the one hand, I carry all the burden of the outcome of this decision, but you're telling me, sit down with year one employee in your company and say, hey, you're a partner, I want to hear what you have to say. And I'm being cynical, I'm saying it in a facetious way, but, but I guess Anybody who thinks that way just needs to recalibrate their thinking. You're not giving up anything no. by doing this. this. You're, in fact, essence. helping yourself make I a better decision. Is, I think this is the essence and also the danger of leadership, and I want to explain, okay? I think partnership is um, is is being giving you the opportunity. We're not equal partners, okay? So let me But put, you can have an equal voice. We can have a dialogue, okay? I don't want to put it into numbers, Okay. But we can have a dialogue. You can tell me your thoughts. I can, I'm asking you. But be careful of doing the, the following because I think sometimes what leaders do, they act like the, they listen. And then it's better not to even ask because if something the, – the employees are very, very intelligent. Okay, They can smell bullshit miles away. And if you're ma- merely asking just for the sake of asking – Checking the box kind of thing. Don't do it. It's useless. Okay. Doesn't mean if I'm asking you that ultimately whatever you say I'll take, but I'm asking because I really, really care because I value your opinion. And then I'll take it into consideration, which is much more holistic, systemic, whatever, because... And I can explain my decision afterwards in a way that says, look, you know, this is a decision. You had suggested A and B and C. We went this way and I want to share with you why, right? So the dialogue actually continues after the decision was made as a way of demonstrating that I listened. And sometimes there's no good answer. Sometimes... It could be, this is the decision of the CEO, and there's no explanation or rational. And this is something also needs to be discussed in business. Not everything can be explained. I want to say, I want to explain most things, and I want to give a reason or, or, or like the rational for everything. Sometimes there just isn't. And that's also, if I, I, I find myself t- telling uh, managers, no is also an answer. No is also an answer. Okay? I like that. And, and it connects to another point, which is, I think when we do have the dialogue, we need to explain 
we need to set expectations about that as well. That so is we can walk true. in and say, you know, I want to invite you into this conversation. Mm-hmm. We're thinking about doing X, Y, and Z. It was very important for us to hear what you have to say. I want to say in advance, mm-hmm. I'm here to listen. We want to factor that in. We may not end up doing what you're suggesting, but even just knowing that you're suggesting this will be valuable. So yes. why don't we begin, right? So if you, if you, if we, if we set expectations well in advance, if we listen to what people have to say authentically, really mm-hmm. want to hear what mm-hmm. they have to say, mm-hmm. if we then go ahead and make a decision and later close the loop on that, mm-hmm. we should probably have a very good balance between people feeling that they're being heard while still um, respecting authority in the sense that the buck stops somewhere and that somewhere is who's going to have to carry the, the ownership of that decision. Yes, I think it's a very mild but very, very, very important uh, difference between... I want to have a partnership with you, which is an open dialogue, rather saying we're partners. Because we're not partners. We're not uh, co-founders of the same uh, business, which we have the same uh, amount of voice and decision-making. And we're not, uh, uh, if I would uh, accumulate it into a number 50-50 on the vote. This is not what I'm saying. Okay? Because once there is a manager, a leader, someone who's uh, <coughs> accountable or a manager, at the end of the day, he needs to take into consideration things that the team sometimes is not even aware. So right. we're not partners, but we do work in partnership. And I think this is the mild difference. And this might be very confusing, especially I see it among um, young managers, not, re- or not just young at age, rather young in experience. Yeah. Because taking leadership is also sometimes saying, okay, I've listened, I've heard, that's let a, me decide. I think that's a really good note to end on, which, which relates to, well, I mean, I dedicate a ton of time to this in my conversations with my clients and in the workshops, which is the importance of nuance. Mm-hmm. I think nuance is critically important. You've just stated the nuance of the difference between being partners and operating in partnership. And I think that can be added to a long list of areas in the workplace where Um, no matter how fast we move and no matter how blurry things might look out the window of this, you know, super speed train, if we don't stop to dedicate time to the nuance, a lot of our good, well-intentioned efforts can go to waste mm-hmm. because we will come in being in partnership, but we will communicate that we are partners and then they will be frustrated why you asked me my opinion didn't do what I, what I said. I think a lot of the times a good, like if I gave an example before of um, uh, doing things together and being, uh, I gave an illustration of, of, of a relationship, mm-hmm. a good illustration to explain that might be uh, being a parent, okay? Because a lot of the times you engage in an open dialogue with your children, but sometimes you make their decision, the decision, the adult decision, not from a patronizing point of view, rather from a point of view that you're setting boundaries and your decision is regarding your values as a family and things you do, and your child might resist that. But still, if you believe that you're doing something and you come from uh, good intention and you can explain it, it's okay if, if the other side is not uh, always happy with your decision. And I want to say that um, if, if your employees are always happy and all the decisions that you make are always uh, being received with applause, that is also something. That should be maybe a bit of a red signal. Yes. There's such a yes. thing as, as productive friction. Yes. Wow. I mean, it seems like we could talk about this for another three Leadership hours. Leadership is a, is, a, is a whole season, yes. Yeah. Well, listen, Batya, I want to really, really thank you for coming to this podcast. Uh, I think we I think there's a lot of value in the points that you've raised and uh, I think you and I had discussed that we're probably going to want to do this again sometime 
So thank you. It's been a pleasure. I think it's always uh, interesting to talk about uh, things that you're passionate about. And I would like to say again that if you're passionate about games, <laughs> come, ever, ever the come visit us at uh, Plarium.com. I, I will make sure to uh, add a link. Our career page because uh, we really have, uh, a, a, really have a good, good uh, intention to take really talented people within. So join us. Amen to that. Batya, thank you very, very much. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks for listening to The Greater Context with Ariel Halevi. For more shows and other great content, visit TelAvivPresents.com slash The Greater Context. See you next time.